This is Rosen Institute's Your Law Firm, where Lee Rosen and Ned Days cover management, marketing, finance, and new technologies for building the practice you deserve. Here's Lee Rosen. It's good to be with you today from Boracay Island in the Philippines. We took the one-hour flight down here from Manila, and then we took a taxi followed by a boat ride, followed by another taxi. It sounds like more transportation than it actually was. I think it took less than an hour to fly here from Manila, and then probably another 30 minutes to get across to the island. We arrived at a beautiful beach resort with white sand and a big blue swimming pool, Nice restaurants, umbrella-covered lounge chairs, and little drinks that also have umbrellas on top of them. This Movenpick Hotel features a chocolate hour at 3 o'clock every afternoon, so that's sort of terrific. It's really a great place to record a podcast. So, hello from the Philippines. It's time for your tech tip. Some people just love paper. I don't, but maybe you do. I associate paper with schoolwork and tedious things my mother would do in my childhood. She would keep every receipt so that she could spend what seemed like hours balancing the checkbook. We had a refrigerator calendar that fit into a special little caddy that included a pen and holder and corkboard, and rather than buy replacement calendars, she would tape new sheets of paper to the calendar every year, carefully drawing the boxes and months and days for the entire year. My wife loves paper notes and lists and calendars as well. I always want to put the shopping list in a shared note we can sync between our phones. She prefers to write it on some tiny scrap of paper that I will inevitably forget when leaving the house. She always acquires a couple of paper calendars for each new year, at least one for the kitchen and for her office. The one on the kitchen fridge has so many notes and scribbles in different colored pens and markers that I just don't look at it because it is too confusing. There is some kind of random-looking string of digits at the bottom of each day's square. There are smiley and frowny faces on certain days indicating, I'm not sure what, maybe her attitude toward my behavior that day. For me, it's a bit like the scene in A Beautiful Mind when John Nash's wife finds his schizophrenia shed plastered with newspaper clippings and crazy numerological patterns, but hey, you do you, girl. Her office has a plethora of notebooks and notepads for all kinds of purposes, and I have to admit she has a system. She knows where the notes are for the topic in question. I like typing things, but I have accepted that not everybody wants to spend the day hunched over a computer typing out everything like a robot. Some people need the tactile experience, and beyond just tactile experience, a more focused experience for note-taking or marking up documents and PDFs. Some of us are just a lot more productive when we can sketch out ideas and brainstorm with a pen in hand. And there are a lot of devices on the market that help bridge that gap and provide the tactile and, for some people, more mentally stimulating experience of being able to work out ideas on paper with the digital niceties of easy organization, endless storage, cloud sync, and text search. Now, before talking about these devices and whether they are worth experimenting with, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Why wouldn't you use a normal Android tablet or iPad with software like Notability, GoodNotes, or even Apple's own Notes app? That's a good question, and the bottom line is that these devices aren't going to replace a notebook computer or an iPad. They are really in a class unto themselves. Generally, the allure includes not just the writing feel, but also not having as many distractions as you would on a tablet PC. YouTube and Poshmark aren't a tap away on these devices. But the tactile sensation and 
feedback is one of the biggest selling points. For some people, an Apple Pencil is all they need, but for others, these smart notebooks are simply more usable, focused, and enjoyable to write on. There is a lot of subtlety and nuance to how people respond to these devices, and the investment isn't trivial. Thankfully, most of them offer a decent return policy so that you can try them out for a while and see if they are actually something you want to use. So let's jump into the three primary categories of these devices and get a sense of how they differ from tablets and what exactly is on offer. The first is what I'll call smart notepads, for lack of a better term. These are basically glorified legal pads with accompanying smartphone apps that make scanning, categorizing, and searching the notes you take easier. The Rocketbook line of products is one of the biggest players in this space. These are notebooks with erasable pages and QR codes at the bottom of the pages to help with automatic ordering and categorization. And the app runs OCR on text once it is scanned in so that you can search across your handwritten notes more easily. The Rocketbook does require that you use special pens and markers, specifically from the Pilot Friction line of products. But when you do, the pages can be wiped off with a little water and a microfiber cloth. It's kind of like a portable and more pleasant-feeling marker board. Boogie Board is another company providing options here, particularly their Blackboard device. This one can be thought of a bit more like a glorified Etch-A-Sketch. You draw onto its surface with the included pen, or just about anything that can provide enough pressure, and then snap a photo onto the mobile app. There's a button to erase the screen when you're ready. You can scan the photos into the app or buy a smart pen accessory that creates a digital version of the note from your pen's input. That's a good transition point to the next category of products that work by digitizing the movements of your pen instead of reading or scanning what's written to a page manually. The Moleskine Smart Notebook and Pen is a special pen and paper notebook setup that saves notes to an app without scanning the pages manually. It's pricey at about $270, which puts it well within range of some of the less expensive e-ink tablets we will get to shortly. But if quite literally nothing but honest-to-goodness physical paper will do, and you want massive hipster points, the Moleskine is probably your best option. The slightly cheaper iSkin Repaper is a combination of a digitizer tablet and a ring that attaches to your drawing implement. So you can use whatever paper and pen you want. It's only meant for one page at a time, though, so it's more focused on drawing and art for that reason. The final category, and the one that I think is the real contender for attorneys wanting to take notes and mark up files with a more paper-like approach, is the e-ink or e-paper tablet. So what are e-ink screens? If you've ever used an Amazon Kindle or other ebook reader, you are familiar with e-ink screens. These are low power, usually black and white, although color options are starting to come to market, screens that are good for text legibility and more accurately mimicking the look and feel of writing on paper. Most people find them to cause less eye strain when looking at them for long periods of time than traditional tablet screens because they are either unlit or front lit or sometimes use different backlighting technology and as such, work better in bright sunlight environments too. The screen itself doesn't require power to display an image, just to update it. And they tend to have fairly low refresh rates as well, so you aren't going to be watching movies on these, but the battery life is substantially better than a traditional tablet. Most people can get by using it all week and then just charging it once on the weekend. In the e-ink tablet space, there are more players and more approaches to the same problems than there are in either the phone or computer space, so for better or worse, there are some substantial differences in the user interface. Faces between these devices, and to some extent, these differences are things you won't really 
really know whether or not you like until you try them, but lots of people swear by them for note-taking, annotating PDFs, and calendaring. The Remarkable 2 is one of the most well-known and well-loved devices in this space. It is also one of the most limited or perhaps focused if we are using marketing jargon. It goes all in on the digital notepad paradigm and is probably the most pure paper notepad replacement of the bunch. The software focuses on letting you create and organize notes when you need those features, but disappearing when you just need to jot. It will create searchable text from whatever you write. It allows you to import PDFs or files from Office for marking up and offers basic syncing with OneDrive, Google Drive, and Dropbox, but it lacks the more advanced features of some of the other devices we'll discuss. You can import a PDF template of a calendar to write things on, but you aren't going to be syncing calendars to online services or collaborating very easily on documents. It does contain an ebook reader app, but it's for DRM-free ebooks only. There is no Kindle support on this device. The Supernote A5X is a more feature-rich e-ink tablet. It uses plastic construction, so it doesn't feel quite as premium as the Remarkable or our next device, but it's likely to be a bit more rugged if you are hard on your devices. It isn't backlit, and some people find the screen to be a little dim even compared to something like the Remarkable, which also isn't backlit but has a slightly brighter screen, but the software and the writing feel of this device tend to set it apart from its competitors. It receives regular and substantial updates with new and useful features. Two of the biggest selling points right out of the gate are that this one does have a Kindle app, so you can access your entire Amazon Kindle library if you want to read on it as well. It also has a dedicated calendar app that will sync with Google Calendar or iCal. The last device I will mention in this category is one from Onyx. This company has a lot of tablets and e-readers available. For note-taking, the Onyx Books Note Air 2 Plus is a good starting point for researching these. This device moves a lot closer toward a more traditional tablet feature set. The Onyx Books line are Android tablets with e-ink screens with some custom software for note-taking and navigation. So you get the very focused and writing-centric experience of an e-ink tablet, but you also have access to the full Google Play Store, and you can install any Android app you want. You need to keep in mind the device's limitations, the black and white screen, the low refresh rate. You are probably not going to want to try streaming Netflix on this or playing fast-paced games, but the rest of your office and productivity software will work just as you expect. That means that unlike some of these other devices, this one is possible to use as your one device. You can connect a Bluetooth keyboard and use it like a normal Android tablet. I'll also mention here, although not as a real contender yet, the Amazon Kindle Scribe. This is arguably the best Kindle device there is, so it's great for reading books and using Amazon content, but the note-taking capabilities just don't match the other devices. The hardware is there, but the software isn't. So it's possible that this will become a contender with future software updates, but at the moment, it's little more than a Kindle you can also take very basic notes on. Which one of these, if any, makes sense for you is very subjective. I don't mean that to be a cop-out. These just tend to be very love-them-or-hate-them devices for a lot of people. Writing feel is going to be very subjective. The Supernote uses a soft plastic screen and hard pen tips. The Remarkable and Books devices use hard screens and soft pen tips. Some people prefer one to the other. Software is also going to be very subjective. Some people love the Supernote software but aren't as pleased with the device. Others love that the Books provides the features you 
you'd expect of a normal Android tablet. On the traditional phone and tablet side of things, all iOS devices basically work the same way. And outside of some theming changes, most Android devices are very similar to each other as well. Even though most of these e-ink tablets are using some variation of Android under the hood, they are very different in terms of the user interfaces and the features provided and the software that they support. But if you can't ditch the pen and you want a way to make all of your scribbling more usable with the rest of your workflow and software, these might be something to consider. I'm Ned Days, and that's your tech tip. And now for your moment of concise advice. It's too tempting to start your law firm with a partner. Misery loves company. Plus, most of us prefer to share the risk, knowing that there's someone with us who is willing to also go down with the ship. Well, that is oddly reassuring. Having a buddy with you as the ship sinks, well, that's nice and all, but a ship that stays afloat, that's an even better option. You know, there are lots of things to worry about when you start a new law firm. You don't want to enter into the wrong practice area. You want to pick the right marketing approaches. You don't want to run short of cash as you get going. You don't want to hire the wrong people or take on the wrong cases. And we all spend a lot of energy focusing on these issues and on the competing law firms and how they might impact our success. But I'll tell you, a bad business partnership, it's much more likely to kill your business than most other things that lawyers encounter in starting a law firm. Yes, a bad business partnership is really, really bad. Lawyers trying to work together as partners, well, that's tough. It quickly can turn ugly. We're not the most collaborative or cooperative of folks sometimes, and it's not usually the shared equity that's the problem in these arrangements. It's the shared control. That's true because shared control is, at least for most of us, more like a lack of control. That's how it feels when we share control. Shared control results in the law firm getting stuck. A business run by two lawyers, it can easily end up stuck in indecision. You know what I'm talking about. You know us. We all, all of us lawyers, we all have opinions and input and ideas, and we all believe we're right. Even when one or both of us have never run a business before, we are still willing to vigorously debate the issues, and we continue to believe that we're right. That results in us getting bogged down. We can't make decisions, or worse, we do decide, and we take action, and we move forward, and then we second-guess. We backtrack. We have to go back and make new decisions and start all over again. And The thing is, with most new law firms, most of these decisions in the early days, they're small stakes. They simply require a decision. At the early stage of the game, things are more about taking action than thinking and debating and deciding. Action is what moves the needle. It's about taking referral sources to lunch. It's about buying some Google ads or setting up a $20 website on card.co. The decision-making shouldn't, at this stage be about leasing expensive space or hiring a sophisticated public relations firm or adding associates before the money is flowing in. Debating which practice management system to use or which accounting package to buy or which virtual assistant to hire, well, all of that 
It can wait. That woman that you take to lunch, that potential referral source who can refer you 10 new clients a year, well, she matters. The debate between Microsoft 365 and Google Business, well, that doesn't make any difference. You need to focus on what matters right now, and that's action. Someone in the law firm needs to be in charge. Someone needs to decide. You don't need more input on all of this trivia. You need more action. Lots more action. Now, that doesn't mean that I am opposed to the idea of two lawyers working together. Two lawyers can work together quite well. If you need someone else on the team, then go for it. But you don't have to share control. You can hire this other lawyer. You can pay them. Look, if what you're really doing here is creating a partnership and making an end run around paying somebody for the skill that they bring to the business. If you need that skill inside the business for your business idea to work, but you can't afford to pay for it and think making them a partner is the solution. Well, that's a bad idea. Don't make someone your law partner just because you need their skills, but you can't afford to pay them. That's not going to end well. If you can't build the law firm that you're dreaming of today with what you've got, then build the law firm that you can build today. You can do what you need to do without being partners. If you need that person, then pay them what they're worth. If you want them to feel a sense of ownership, if that's what's important to you, well, then you can do that. You can find a way to share equity. Sharing equity does not have to mean sharing control. You can share ownership without sharing decision-making, or you can hire this person and cut them in with some sort of commission program or profit-sharing plan. It's really easy to bring someone into the upside of a business without giving up the equity or the control. There are lots of ways to do it, and it's kind of weird that lawyers who so often advise other businesses on how to get set up and how to run the business, how we give so little consideration to how to run our own businesses. This advice that I'm giving about partnerships, it may not apply in other occupations and businesses other than law firms. But I'll tell you, from my observations and my experience, it is true for lawyers that being in a partnership and sharing control is very difficult and presents the highest risk to the success of your new business. I encourage you to start on your own. Fly solo, at least for a while. Build the business that you're ready to build for yourself right now. Don't worry about what you can't do or what you can't afford to do. Build the business that you can handle on your own. Build what you're ready to do right now. That business that you can build right now, it's still better than building no business at all. That's your moment of concise advice. Wrapping up from Bora Kay, thanks for spending a few minutes with me and Ned today. We hope you have a great weekend and an even better week next week. Keep plugging away, moving forward, and getting things done. You're on the right track. You'll get there, I promise. We're all in this together, and together we build better practices through better marketing, better management, and better technology. Until next time, I'm Lee Rosen. Thanks for listening to Your Law Firm. Visit rosensrules.com for our free course on the 10 critical rules successful law firms follow. 